Well, good evening. Glad you're all here, the ones that are in the congregation tonight and those that are online. It's welcome to Highland Baptist Church. We are uh, we're going to get started with a prayer and then we'll sing a song. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for today, for your blessings, for the opportunity that we have to go into this world and, Lord, seek you and reflect you. And I pray that we've done just that today. I pray that you be with those uh, of, our, of our church that need you in a special way, that have gone through procedures or, or, or just uh, needing you to, to just watch over them. And I pray, Lord, that you make yourself known and they feel your presence in our prayers and Lord, we'll go through many here in a minute of our congregation that uh, are on our prayer list, and I pray that you be with our service tonight. I pray you be with Brother Jim as he leads us, and Lord, just bless, bless us with your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Take your hymnals and turn to 567. Share his love. This is one of those that uh, is all unison, so we're going to do all three verses. Miss Pat. vast expanse tis deeper and wider than the sea love reaches out to all to bring abundant life for god so loved the world his only son he gave share his love by telling what the lord has done for you share his love by sharing of your faith show the world that Jesus Christ is real to you every moment every day all those who have trusted in God's only son and hold this precious treasure in their hearts seek ways to make it known to all who need to know that God so loved the world his only son he gave share his love by telling what the Lord has done for you share his love by sharing of your faith and show the world that Jesus Christ is real to you every moment every day we show the love of God each day we live. Reveal Christ's presence in our lives. And how the Holy Spirit guides us day by day. For God so loved the world, His only Son He gave. Share His love by telling what the Lord has done for you. Share his love by sharing of your faith and show the world that Jesus Christ is real to you every moment, every day. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Pat. Now, as we look at our prayer list tonight, 
if you have any on there, speak up quickly that uh, you know updates on. Otherwise, I'll go through some that uh, we just want to highlight on. Most of these have been, been on for a, a while on the HBC family. Steve Connor is still recovering from carpal tunnel surgery. Uh, need to continue to remember Bertie Davis and uh, Jack Doubt and, and some of the surgeries that uh, he's had and, and is looking for other procedures. And continue to be with David Hess, which is Jim's son, as he goes through chemo. Uh, continue to remember Diane Tatum, who's still recovering from her back surgery, but I think has done well and doing well. Uh, Mark Raymond, who's had his back uh, surgery also, or epidural, so uh, he is up and moving and, and uh, looks, looks like he's, he's doing better. Um, I tend to remember Beverly Daniel and Rosalie Moore. And uh, as far as our nursing home and assisted living, we still show Mary Campbell. Uh, Piggy Eggleston, Susie Barton is in NHC, and uh, Todd's mom, Wanda Nickel, is in the life care. Um, any updates on any of those that we've gone through the HBC family in the nursing home? Okay, for those of you that couldn't hear, Pat, uh, David Hess is we think he's ready for his second bout of chemo. So continue to remember him. <clears throat> uh, friends and family, um, looking down that list there, continue to remember the people of Ukraine and uh, Miss Christine Cranford. The um, same, there's Steve Maybe. So his procedures and chemo are still underway and it seems to be responding to the chemo, his cancer, so continue to remember Steve Maybe. Uh, Motlow BCM was on our list. They had uh, quite a bit of water damage out there from the cold weather and the water pipes freezing and uh, damage to the inside of the building. Steve, your mom and dad? Let's say. Okay. That was SW and Carolyn Stone. Um, I will stop it right there then. If there's no inputs to any, anybody else, we'll, we'll just pray for this list. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, we did get an update on Julie Tucker's mom. Uh, she came through surgery fine, and she had heart surgery. And uh, she is in recovery and doing well. Uh, they appreciated our prayers. And for those of you that are just finding out, you can continue praying for them. Uh, so, uh, and then I had a, we have a good friend in Shelbyville that, that had open heart surgery also yesterday. And uh, uh, he's doing well. He's doing well. So, uh, thank you for doctors and abilities and God allowing others to be able to administer stuff like that. It's great. Okay, let's pray.
Heavenly Father, again, we come to you bowing before you and humbly at your power and your glory and thanking you for your love and, and Lord, the blessings that we have and don't deserve. Lord, I pray for those that have been mentioned, those that are on our prayer list. You know the ones, you know the list. We're looking at them. And Lord, I pray that each one uh, feel the prayers that are lifted to you. And I pray that you just touch them and make your presence known. Lord, I pray for those that have gone through heart surgeries and, and even, even eye surgeries. I know that some have had their eyes operated this week. I uh, pray that you just continue to heal, and Lord, that we watch you work. Lord, be with Brother Jim and Samantha as they celebrate their anniversary, and, and just watch over them, and thank you for the work that he does, and Matt, Brother Matt, and Lord, we're just blessed at Highland, and we, we thank you. Lord, as we go further, we look to hear your word, touch us with your word, and may we take it out into our city as we leave tonight and, and through the week. Lord, may we reflect you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Thank you, Mike, for uh, filling in with a lot of things there. Thank you, Miss Pat. Uh, I, I want to take some time tonight for tonight's message to go back and lay out for you if you will, the, the setting to which we find ourselves in the book of Hosea. We're going to go all the way back to a king who may be somewhat unfamiliar to you. Uh, we've talked about him before on Wednesday nights. Uh, his name is Rehoboam. Uh, he's a young man, a young king, uh, who wouldn't listen. And yet this is where everything begins uh, that leads us to Hosea. I've left on the front pew over here to my left, uh, your right, uh, some little handouts. Uh, on one side, it has it says the kings of Israel and Judah. Has the northern kingdoms on one side, kings on one side. Has the southern kingdom and its kings on the other side. And so, uh, I just draw your attention to that that you will see on the southern side, Rehoboam is king in Judah, and Jeroboam the first is king in Israel in the northern kingdom. So this is after the kingdom has been. Uh, divided, and so you're gonna. Uh, that's gonna be crucial because if you'll notice a little more than halfway down, actually about two thirds of the way down, you'll notice there's a king's name there named Jeroboam also, but it's Jeroboam the second. It's Jeroboam the second that Hosea mentions in the first chapter uh, of his book that he is living in. So uh, you read about uh, Jeroboam there, Jeroboam the second. Uh, who's there. But you'll read about all through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, and it's always going to refer back to these kings who came with the split after Solomon uh, because they divided. Their hearts went away from God. And so it always goes back to them, and especially uh, when you see the northern kingdom, uh, if you read either one of those books, of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you're going to see it constantly referring back to Jeroboam, uh, and it's talking about Jeroboam the first, uh, that Jeroboam the first departed from the ways of God. And so you'll see that uh, many times. But I just want to take you back 
in the history here. And so we come to 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 43, and the Bible says simply there, And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. So Rehoboam, as you see on your chart there, is the successor of King Solomon. Saul was the first king of Israel. David's the second king of Israel. Uh, and, and, and then we see that the nation is divided. Uh, and we find there uh, Solomon uh, after him. He's the third king. Uh, each one of those kings, though, when you think of Saul and David and Solomon, each one of those kings reigned for about 40 years, which means for 120 years they had three kings. But now you come to the son of Solomon. You come to Rehoboam. And when you read the book of Proverbs, which was written in most part by King Solomon, you'll notice that many times, especially in the opening chapters of the book of Proverbs, Solomon will use this phrase and say these words, my son. And so whenever Solomon says that, I kind of wonder if he was talking in particular to this son, Rehoboam. Uh, we know that in the earlier years of Solomon, uh, he was a very wise man. We know that in the latter years of his life, he begins to depart from the wisdom of God, and he becomes a very foolish man. And, and so I wonder if we at Rehoboam disregarded the words of his father, but rather followed the example of his father. In other words, rather than doing what his father Solomon said, I wonder if Rehoboam decided to do what his father had done. Now there's some evidence that this is true as you study through the life of Rehoboam. And so that's why we find uh, when, when you read in 1 Kings chapter 14 and verse 21 that Rehoboam was about 41 years old when he began to reign. He was a relatively young man uh, to become a king of an entire nation. It was normal that they might be, be much older than that. It was odd to have a very young king like Josiah who was only eight years old. But Rehoboam was 41 years old in, when he began to reign. Uh, and, and verse 21 there says he reigned for 17 years in Jerusalem. That means he reigned from the time uh, that he was uh, 41 until the time he was uh, older there. And so notice uh, that he, he reigned uh, for quite a while there. Notice that it says in the last sentence of verse 21, and his mother's name was Namah the Ammonite. Uh, so there's an, an ungodly nation that Solomon had married into, and he is the, the child of one of uh, those mixed marriages mixed by religion there. And so in studying these kings, it's interesting how often the Scripture mentions by name the mothers of these various kings. I mean, why do the Scriptures do that? Uh, why do they specifically name the mothers of these kings? Well, we understand how very important a mother is to their son or, or daughter. You know, many times when you read about these kings and the life that they lived, uh, you'll be told that they had a mother uh, who was pagan. And that was certainly true in the life of, of Rehoboam here. Uh, his mother was Naamah. Uh, the Bible says she was an Ammonite. In other words, she's a pagan. She's one of uh, many pagan wives that Solomon took. And so evidently, uh, young Rehoboam is affected by her religious views. And that probably accounts for some of his falling away that you'll see uh, in his life uh, along the way. So Rehoboam comes to the kingdom at a time when there's a, a serious, serious crisis here in the kingdom, very often leaders reveal what kind of leaders they are 
in difficult circumstances. And you know, difficult circumstances will often tell you uh, a great deal about the character uh, of a particular leader. You know, leaders, when they're faced with difficult circumstances, those circumstances will either make them or it'll break them. So Rehoboam is going to come to the kingdom in a time of crisis, and we're going to see what it does to him leading up to this time towards uh, Hosea, that Hosea comes along and is instructed to marry a wife who is a harlot, a, a prostitute, uh, if you will. And, and so as we study this life of Rehoboam, notice the first thing here. Notice his, the counsel he seeks. Notice the counsel he seeks. Now, we've seen the crisis and the circumstances, how he's come to be king in a time when people are disaffected. There's trouble in the kingdom. Uh, there's rumblings of a revolution. He goes over to Shechem, evidently, to see if he can kind of placate the people there, if he can pacify them. And the, the word gets all the way down to Egypt, where Jeroboam has fled because of this, his conflict with King Solomon. And Jeroboam hears about it and comes back into the land, and the people appoint Jeroboam to be their spokesman. Now remember, this is Jeroboam the first, so this is his brother. In verse 2 and 3 and verse 4, uh, Jeroboam lays before the new king, Rehoboam, the situation and the concern of the people. In verse 4, uh, look at what he says uh, to, to Rehoboam. Let's actually just look at all these verses in verse 1 uh, down through verse 4. So it says, Rehoboam, went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. So they're getting ready to coronate him as the king. Jeroboam had fled already for his life. But as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, uh, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, your father made, uh, our, made our yoke heavy. Now, now they have therefore lightened uh, the hard service uh, of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. So they were saying basically, your dad has made it hard on us. And he basically says... Uh, if you'll make our yoke lighter, Jeroboam does, if you'll lighten up on us some, then we'll serve you. Now, when, when you study the reign of King Solomon, you'll find that that was very true. They, were, they, they weren't just making it up. Uh, they have a legitimate grievance, a legitimate complaint. Solomon had built the temple of the Lord, and we're told in 1 Kings chapter 5 that, that he drafted people to come. About 30,000 people uh, of the people were uh, put into hard labor to build that temple. And if you've ever seen any of the structure of that, it's unbelievable how it was even built. Uh, but it was a very tedious and a very difficult situation. In addition to that, uh, there was a heavy taxation on the people, uh, oppressive taxation. And rather than being a shepherd of the people, as the king of Israel, uh, kings of Israel were intended to be, he becomes a slave driver of the people. You know, government is intended to be a blessing to the people, not a burden. Govern government exists for the people and not the people for the government. So basically, they're saying, just be the kind of king that you're supposed to be and, and just give us a break. Lighten up on us a little bit. Kings were to be servants of the people. So you read that great leaders in the scriptures, uh, they were servants of the people. There was Moses, who, who was a great leader, who led the people of God out of the land of Egypt, led them through the wilderness and to the promised land. He was a servant of the people. You think about David, his grandfather, uh, Rehoboam's grandfather. He was a shepherd of the people. He was a servant 
of the people. Jesus said one time uh, in Luke chapter 22, uh, the Gentiles have leaders who lord it over you. He said it's not to be that way among you. Uh, he who would be the greatest among you, let him be your servant. And so real leadership is servant leadership. Now, look, if you will, at verse 5. In verse 5, here's what Rehoboam says. He says to them, Go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. Basically, what he's saying there is, give me some time to think this over. So this is the first time uh, that the nation, this is in that midst of the, the breaking up here uh, of the kingdom. Jerobo Jeroboam has not been instituted as the king yet of Israel, of the northern kingdom, but he's fixing to be because about, about what's about to happen here. But here's Rehoboam who's basically saying, just give me some time to think it over. Let me get some counsel. So when you're a leader, you have to be very deliberate. Uh, a leader doesn't need to make snap judgments. He asks, give me three days to consider your request. Now, we don't have any evidence that he spent those three days in prayer. There's no mention of that. We have no evidence uh, that he called for the priests to see if they would go to God on his behalf. Nor do we have any evidence that he sought the prophets of God to ask uh, what the men of God had to say about this matter. But there is evidence that he did seek counsel, and that's a good thing to do. It's always wise to seek counsel. But then look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive. Sounds great. He's getting some good godly counsel from some guys who were there with Solomon who was the wisest uh, man who had ever lived. And he says to them, How do you advise me to answer this people? So far, so good. Uh, he has these advisors around him. You know, our presidents have advisors around them. There's not a way in the world that any president, Republican or Democrat or any other party, could possibly know everything that you need to know and be able to have expertise. One of the reasons some presidents haven't done very well is because they try to know all the details, all the nuts and bolts of the matter. It's just too much. That's one of the reasons Ronald Reagan uh, made such a great president is because uh, he got wise advisors around him. He didn't get lost in the minutiae. Uh, but he kept the big picture uh, of what the government was intended to be. He relied on this council of these advisors around him. God help the country if the advisors around the president aren't good. So here's Rehoboam who goes first of all to these older men, which isn't to say necessarily that they'll all give good counsel either because uh, remember Solomon had strayed away from the Lord. I'm sure that his influence on them and their influence on him also had begun to stray them away. You know, old men can be fools just as easy as young men. Age doesn't make you an expert on many things, maybe some things, but not a lot of things. But he goes to these old men and they give him some advice. And so let's look at what they say down in verse 7. In verse 7 it says, And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Now that was good counsel. Proverbs 11 verse 4 says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. Uh, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Uh, you'll succeed. And, and so uh, that's, that's true of every situation. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 22 says, Without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. So the scriptures repeatedly instill the principle of getting good godly counsel. Rehoboam got good counsel. 
But when you come on down to verse 8 in 1 Kings chapter 12, it says, But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took the counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. So the indication to us is that Rehoboam pretty much had already made up his mind before he ever got the counsel. He has pretty well decided what he wanted to do. And when you've made up your mind uh, what you want to do, chances are you aren't going to start fishing around and looking around until you find somebody uh, that's going to give you the things you don't want. You're going to fish around until you find this person who's going to tell you what you do want to hear. And so that's exactly what Rehoboam's done. He's he's got the counsel from the wise older men. He's got the counsel from the younger uh, leaders there. And and he decides, I'm going to go with these younger guys. <coughs> and, and he evidently has decided what he wants to do. Now he turns to the young men uh, you read about in that group in verse 8, uh, and uh, he took counsel with the young men uh, who had grown up with him and stood before him. So they had been brought up with Rehoboam. They had been running around together. They're going to run the government together. In verse 9 down through verse 11, uh, he says to these young men, he says to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, <clears throat> they said to him, thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thigh. So, so you get the point here. Here's the little finger, here's the thigh. Which one's bigger? He says, my little finger is bigger than my father's thigh. And then notice what he goes on to say in verse 11. So he says in verse 11, and he says, And now whereas my father laid a heavy yoke on you, I'm going to add two. It's going to get heavier. I'm going to add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I'm going to discipline you with scorpions. Wow. He goes off the deep end here. In other words, you think he's saying, you think my dad was tough? You just wait till I get a hold of you. Their advice, these young men's advice was just show them who you are. Show them you're strong. Show them who's in charge. And that advice was listen, uh, was listen. The only way to run this crowd is to be tougher on them. That's the idea that some people have of leadership. Just run all over people. Uh, these young guys had the mistaken idea that people existed for them. They had the idea that, that somehow the people were to respond to them and do what would please them. And these young guys are basically saying, we need to be respected, and if you don't, we're going to make you. Now, I just want to say, you can't make anybody do anything. We need to learn that you can't demand to be respected. You can earn respect but you don't demand respect. These guys are all caught up with the privileges of leadership. They're all caught up in that instead of the responsibilities of leadership. They're interested in their rights instead of the opportunity to serve. And it was bad advice. Of course you know whose advice he took. Uh, if the church wants to have godly leadership, it has to have a combination of, of older and younger together. You have to have older leadership and you have to have younger leadership. If all the church is older leadership, uh, they'll bind you up. On the other hand, if, you, if all you have is younger leadership, they'll burn you up. 
If you get older and younger uh, and they're godly working together, they'll build you up. And so we need both in the church. That's the beautiful thing about the fellowship of the church. You know, we have some of the godliest leaders there are, but some of those leaders are getting older and older, and some of the young people are going to have to begin to take those places of leadership. Uh, you're going to have to learn to be faithful. Uh, we have older leadership, and they're faithful. Uh, you're going to have to learn to give and to give faithfully because they give. Uh, you're going to have to learn to be witnesses for the Lord and tell people about Jesus because they do. And so I want to challenge anybody who's here tonight or anybody who may be watching online, if you're a young person, a young man, a young lady in the fellowship, I want to encourage you to commit yourself totally to the Lord and to the work of His church. So as you begin to move into places of leadership and, and, and those who are older begin to graduate on to glory, uh, we need strong leaders all throughout the years. And that's what it takes to build a great church. What we see here, though, is that Rehoboam gets some bad advice. Here they come, see what happens. So here was Jeroboam, and here comes Jeroboam again. Jeroboam and all the people, they come back to Rehoboam on the third day. So he said, I'll take three days, I'll come back. So they come back as the king had said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given them, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken to Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And so we see this conflict here between the two, between Rehoboam, who's being installed as, as the king of all of Israel, uh, trying to maintain that unity, but he decides to take this bad counsel, and that just splits everything wide open. And so now you're going to have Rehoboam in the south, and Jeroboam in the north. So notice the counsel he seeks, but we have also want to see the conflict that he sees. The conflict he sees. So when he gives that announcement in verse, uh, in, in, in verse 16 and following, now you basically have a rebellion on your hands. He gave that announcement in verse 15, and from 16 on, there's this rebellion. So the people just rebel. They say in verse 16, when all the, all the Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, what portion do we have in David? So we don't want anything to do with you guys down here in the south part of, of, of Israel. Uh, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. So they basically, this is the division here. This is the civil war, if you will, that begins. And so then it goes on, uh, and, and we see uh, here that he tells them, get to your tents, the kingdom tears in two. They've got a civil rebellion 
on their hands. It splits the, the kingdom into a northern kingdom known as Israel, the southern kingdom known as Judah. You know, that happens so often in the world today, and it happens even sometimes within the church. It happens in businesses, in nations, and churches. Third, the third generation many times will squander the previous gen what the previous generations have built. And so here's an individual or a group who's built a great company together, and it becomes it, it prosperous, it becomes successful, and then the next generation comes along, and they just live off the fruits of the first generation, and then that third generation comes, and they just blow the whole thing. And that's what's happened here. Uh, I shared this before about uh, Bruce Wilkinson, who did a study on, who shares a study of, uh, called the, the Three Chairs, uh, that, that there's a generation who knows God, there's a generation who comes after them who knows about God, and the generation who's the third generation there, they don't even know God because it never got passed on from generation to generation. Well, one bad sentence from Rehoboam, and he tears down in three days what it took his father and his grandfather to build in 80 years. Think about that. His father and his grandfather, David and Solomon, had built this kingdom for 80 years and built it into what it was, and with one bad sentence, Rehoboam tears it all down. But notice what verse 18 goes on to say. Then Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to the mount, to, hurried to mount his chariot to flee Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And so even to the days of Hosea, uh, the, the nation of Israel was against the house of David. The house of David's the southern kingdom. And, and so now you have this rebellion on your hands, and, and Rehoboam still doesn't get it. Uh, when you go on down to verse 21, he just decides to go to war. And so when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God. And so, uh, you know, what we see here is uh, he, he first there in, in verse 21, uh, he assembles a, a, a huge group here, Rehoboam does, uh, of 180,000 uh, to go and fight. You know, that's the tendency uh, of the younger generation. Let's just fight. In verse 21, he gathers them together to fight against the house of Israel. But notice in verse 22, as we said, God steps into the picture. So Israel has been in rebellion, uh, or sorry, the, but the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man uh, of God. And so it, it, we see there that God begins to intervene. And it, he says to Shemaiah, God does, say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up and, or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. God said, you shall not. Every man returned to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again, according to the word of the Lord. And so what you have there is a picture of divine sovereignty 
and human responsibility right alongside one another. Somehow, in the divine sovereignty of God, this was the will of God. And yet these people who made these decisions all made them of their own free will. And so then we come on down to verse 25, and here we're told the account of how Jeroboam is going to become the king of Israel in the north. So then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. So here he goes and, and builds a, 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 up there. He builds Shechem in the hill country, and he lives there. Uh, that's up in Ephraim. That's where the, the capital pretty much was uh, for the northern kingdom. Uh, he's left Jerusalem where uh, the temple is uh, and, and all of those things. Uh, and so uh, we find here that, that he builds Penuel. He wanted to keep the people in the north from going down to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, so they wouldn't have to go down to Jerusalem to worship, come here to Shechem. So verse 28, he says to make two calves of gold. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold our, your gods, O Israel, who brought, you, uh, who, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Uh, and he set one in Bethel. And the other he put in Dan, trying to make it easy uh, for them to come. And then it says in 1 Kings 12 uh, and verse 30, Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one, to be before one of these golden calves uh, that he had built. So because of this foolish decision of young Rehoboam, the king who wouldn't listen, he brings more idolatry. He brings more falling away, apostasy, more false religion into the nation, and he causes this unbelievable conflict. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Because if you remember anything about our study of the Old Testament, 1 and 2 Kings pretty much overlays 1 and 2 Chronicles, just a few places here and there that it fills in some gaps. But they pretty much history-wise lay over each other. They parallel uh, each other. First and Second Chronicles, in particular, parallels Second Kings. So, in Second Chronicles chapter twelve, in verse five through verse eight, we see the change that he supervises. The change that he supervises. So here comes that same prophet uh, we read about here. Uh, so we've already read that he took the counsel there. We see uh, that Shemaiah, the prophet, came to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah uh, who had gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, Thus says the Lord, you abandoned me, so I've abandoned you to the hand of Shishak. So here we already begin to see God begins to... to bring some judgment upon uh, the nations there, upon the nation of Judah and Rehoboam uh, as they are beginning to turn their backs upon God. And so he says, I'm going to abandon you to the hand of Shishak. Then the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, the Lord is righteous. And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, and they it said, they, God said, they have humbled themselves. I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance, and my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. 
Uh, nevertheless, they shall be servants to him, that they may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. And so you look at that phrase uh, that, that's given there uh, in that in, in verse 7 there. Uh, he says, but he says, I'm, I'm on, uh, they've humbled themselves, so I'm not going to totally destroy them, but I am going to grant them some deliverance. Well, uh, because the king humbles himself a little bit before the Lord, they're given that some deliverance. You know, all we can do in our day is to pray right now for some deliverance. I mean, would to God that we would, would, would have a, a mighty revival in our country that would bring God's people back to their knees. That's what we need. But notice something else. Not only some deliverance, but a sad decline. Uh, because then you go on uh, to look at verse 9, and it says, So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem... He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. So what's that he's talking about? He's talking about he took the treasures of the house of the Lord, took the treasures out of the temple in Jerusalem. He took the treasures of the king's house also, and he took away everything. He also took away the shields of gold that Solomon made. And notice what happens. And King Rehoboam made in their place shields a bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. So what the picture here is that we get that happens in these verses is that the king of Egypt invades Jerusalem. Uh, he basically makes a terrorist strike, if you will, uh, on the capital. Uh, look at the change that he supervises, that Rehoboam supervises. In that attack, uh, here is uh, this king, Shishak of, of Egypt, who comes up and he takes the treasures of the house of the Lord and he takes the treasures of the king's house. And specifically, we're told that he also took away the shields of gold that Solomon had made. Now, 2 Chronicles chapter 9 tells you about those shields of gold. Solomon had made three hundred solid gold shields. They were 300 pounds of solid gold each. Could you just imagine how much that cost? He made 300 of them. We're told that the purpose of those shields was to line the path to the king's palace, from the palace to the temple, so that when Solomon went to the temple to worship, on either side of him for a hundred yards, there were shields of gold. Could you just imagine that? As he's walking the path from the palace to the temple, uh, there along about a hundred yard path there, there's 150 on one side, 150 on the other side. Uh, as he's walking along, you know, gold is pure metal. Uh, gold is the standard by which everything is measured. But here's a king who made a foolish decisions, who leads people into idolatry and sin. But Solomon, as he was walking down through there, you could just imagine the, the sun gleaming off of those golden shields. And now, because of what Rehoboam has done, because of his foolish decision in leading the people into idolatry and sin, Shishak comes, and he just trashes the temple of the Lord. And he robs it of its treasures. And he takes those treasures of gold down into Egypt. And in their place, the country was such a mess. Did you get what Rehoboam did? King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze. 
Wow. He substitutes for shields of gold, shields of bronze. Now, gold's a pure metal. It's the standard. Brass, bronze, is an alloy. It's copper and zinc. It's a substitute. It's a cheap imitation. Gold shines brass or, 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 or brass or, uh, or, is, is, uh, or bronze is dull. They lost the real thing, and in their place, they put cheap substitutes. It's possible for one generation to squander the gold of the good things of God and replace them with the shabby substitutes, the shabby shields of substitutes. Rehoboam died at around the age of 58. The Bible says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And that's what you see about him for the rest of his life. And any time in the nation of Israel, it always goes back to they continued in the ways of their father Rehoboam. And when you look at the nation of Israel, which is in the north, it, it always goes back to you were just like your father, Jeroboam. They both were headed down the same path, one a little sooner than the other, but God's judgment was coming. Now, remember Hosea speaking to mostly uh, the, the northern kingdom, to Israel there, uh, but both were headed in the same place. Uh, they have substituted uh, the, the good things of God for cheap substitutes. And so uh, when you think about that, uh, that statement that's made about him, he just did evil in the sight of the Lord. That would be, the, what would be the one sentence that God could write about you if you were to die tonight? Rehoboam left a divided nation poorer than when he found it. We're going to have... For us, in our lives as believers, we're, we're going to have a legacy and leave a legacy to, to our home, our church, our nation, and our generation. The question is, what kind of legacy are we going to leave? Is it going to be a cheap substitute, or are we going to leave shields of gold? See, that's the whole thing that Hosea is preaching about to the people in Israel who rejected God who began to worship the idols, they had, they had put in the place of God cheap substitutes. And that's where we are today. The times of Hosea remind us of where we are today in our hearts and in our lives. So let me just encourage you. Let me encourage you. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and live faithfully for him no matter what. Hold on to the things of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for the many blessings that you have given to us. We thank you for your presence here with us tonight as we've looked at your word with Rehoboam and seen the setting for, for where we come to. How did it get to be as bad as it was in, in Hosea's day? It got to be that bad because it was a slow fade. It was a slow time of turning away over the years, of people turning away year after year after year until finally you're having to tell Hosea to go and marry a harlot to present a message to your people to say, that's what you've done to me you've not just substituted the cheap imitation you've taken the dirt and the mud and the slime of life and replaced me with that 
And so, Father, I pray that we as a nation, we as individuals, as believers ourselves, would make sure that we're not fading away from you. Make sure, Lord, that we're putting you as the priority for our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you will bless us and keep us in your truth and in your word and help us, Lord, to live faithfully for you every day, one day at a time, one moment at a time. Thank you, God, for all you've done for us. Bless us throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining with us uh, tonight. We'll be back again this coming Sunday morning. I'll be back in person uh, from our, our trip. So just want to encourage you to be here Sunday morning, 9.15 for Sunday school, 10.30 for worship. Uh, if you have to, you can join us there online. But we really do encourage you to come and, and fellowship with other believers. Uh, it is just so much better. It's one thing, someone made a comment uh, this past week that I saw uh, that said it's, it, you can watch a fireplace on a screen on TV but you can't bask in its warmth you can't feel its warmth and that's the truth about what we have here if you come and you you come to fellowship with other believers you'll sense and feel that that wonderful presence of the Lord so we encourage you come if you can but if you can't you join us there uh, on all of those social media platforms that we're on there uh, this coming Sunday morning 1030 for the worship service 915 for Sunday school you have a blessed week and we'll see you this coming Sunday